Okay, you can see the title um, up on the screen. That's what the subject I'm going to be speaking on today. And I want to say that it kind of ties in a lot with um, some of the things in the meeting. Uh, we've heard about letting go, and that is part of this message. Uh, we've heard about uh, reaching out with a picture of the helicopter. Uh, that's part of this message. We've heard about overcoming in the prayer meeting before the meeting. So, choosing to overcome for God, that's the title. And I want you to take note of those two words, choosing and the word overcome. But this is what we're going to do today. We're going to look at three questions. Try to make it nice and clear on the PowerPoint. One, what do I mean by overcome for God? What do I mean by that? Two, why is choosing so important? And three, how do we choose to overcome for God? And I'm now going to show you a picture, which I hope you can see, probably not very well. That is my daughter in a yellow dress on a yellow floor, so you can't see her that well, but she is um, sulking in a corner. Um, she's hiding behind some desk uh, because life hasn't gone the way she had hoped. I may have denied her a biscuit or something, but she kind of, yeah, you put the lights out maybe, Tim, that'd be good. She's kind of in a little pit of her own, and Karina will verify that this sort of sulk can last for up to 30 minutes. She's very stubborn. I don't know where she gets it from. Not from me, definitely. <clears throat> and... It says that there at the top, when life deals you a very hard blow. I'm not going to talk this morning so much on overcoming of sin, but I'm going to talk more on the more subtle ways in which we can fall into a pit. Even the most active Christian can come to church, be doing things, singing and dancing, on the surface, appear fine, but in their heart they feel trapped. They've lost, to use a worldly phrase, they've lost the will to live <laughs> to some degree. Um, I know I have been there. You, you go through the motions, but in your heart, in your spiritual life, you're in a rut. You're in a place of even depression. Not perhaps clinical depression, but a, a sense of, what's the point? A sense of despondency. A sense of, I can't pray. What's the point in praying? A sense of, I've lost my hunger for the word of God. I go because I ought to go, but I don't want to go. Have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? It's a book by a man called John Bunyan, and in that book, it talks about this Christian going on a pilgrimage, and he comes into a swamp called the Slough of Despond. Despondent. Can't be bothered. Lord, why? And I'm going to look at this because although that's a nice picture of my daughter, Christians can fall into the place where they're not moving forward anymore. They're stuck. Although on the surface they're looking fine. And let's just move on. A uh, couple of animals there. A tortoise gone back into its shell. I don't know if you've ever felt like that in life. Life's dealt you a hard blow. It might be some horrific suffering, and which, which I do not downplay. I'm not downplaying it. 
Because some suffering is awful. But the effect of it is you become like the tortoise. And as you know, a tortoise like this cannot walk forward. Or you become like that hedgehog. Just You lock down upon yourself. And it can be very, very subtle. Let's move on. But let's remember those animals. Let me ask yourself, have you ever been like that? <laughs> have you ever been like that? I know I have. <laughs> ask my wife. But, um, but the Lord has taught me how to get out of it. He really has. And I want to share that with you this morning. This is a real word that I've learned. It's not just some theory. I've really learned this. God wants to get you out of, if you're feeling like you're in a pit. I nearly called this message climbing out the pit. But um, I'm calling it choosing to overcome. Right. I'm going to read a scripture first about two apostles uh, who got thrown into a prison. And they could have become very discouraged. And of course, this is a physical example. It's an extreme example. It probably won't happen to you. But I believe this is a picture of what can happen to the Lord's people. Even perhaps when they're doing the will of God, like these men were. Now these two men, Paul and Silas, had just cast a devil out of a girl who was bringing in money for the owners. The, the, the owners of this slave girl were using this girl who had a demon in her to foretell the future. And they were making money on her. Paul and Silas, or Paul, cast the demon out of the girl and in the reaction of the people... The anger, they threw them into prison. And it says this, Acts chapter 16, verse 22 to 26. <clears throat> the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. Now, that's an extreme physical picture of someone getting stuck. But I just want to point out a few things about this passage briefly. I mean, they had every temptation to be discouraged. And, but notice they chose, and I use that word advisedly, they chose to pray and sing to God. I don't believe it was automatic. I mean, if you've been stripped naked, beaten up, whipped, flogged, I mean, are you just going to go, yeah, glory, hallelujah? I mean, is it natural? I don't think it is, unless there's super grace upon them. I believe they chose to have faith in God in that circumstance and say, we are going to worship. And Rick Warren, who is a pastor in America, he says this. He says, when you hit a huge problem, you have two choices. You can either worry or worship. How many times have we worried instead of worshipping? These guys worshipped. And I think it was a choice. And there's the challenge. Maybe you're going through hell. 
Don't just do what Churchill said. Churchill said, if you're going through hell, just keep going. Don't just do that. If you're going through hell, I, I want to say, can you worship? Can you worship like Job? Job did when he lost everything. It's a challenge. But just notice, it says at midnight. I love that. At midnight is the darkest time, the blackest moment. The challenge, what they, they, they worship. It's like, this is bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. But you see, we've got Christ in us. We've got the overcomer in us. And God doesn't do it all automatically. But if you will step out and start to just worship God, the life will come. And God, you, you, you will overcome. And these guys, um, they were singing. And what I love about this story is the other prisoners started listening. And if you're going through a nightmare situation and you start to just love the Lord and worship him, which seems absolutely loony, other people will notice. Whereas if you become down and go, oh, church, what's the point? You know, become a right... What difference will you be? What sort and light will you be to them? Whereas I love it here, the prisoners noticed and there was liberty. Now, I don't know if the law will ever change. You might be in a difficult circumstance. You may have had a loss, a tragedy, and, and you know, that can't change. But God can change your attitude within it, even if the situation can't change. There can be liberty, for where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And there was liberty in this situation. And I believe, whether physically it changes or whether it doesn't, you can find liberty in God's Spirit, in your heart. Um... Let me just give you an illustration from my life, um, nothing like that, but I was once a teacher like Tim um, and wasn't massively great at it, but I had um, one time in our school where I did really well and I, I, I thought, I'm going to go on in this career, I love it, I'm quite good, you know, I, I had some fun with the kids and I was thinking, I'm enjoying this. And then suddenly at school they had a week of um, observations and um, targets and Deputy heads coming in and headmasters coming in to watch you. And it was like, oh my goodness, what is happening? And one particular lesson I did wasn't that great. So they decided they were going to watch me every week for about four months. Every week, deputy head would come in and watch me with little observations. And I tell you, I hated it. It was a nightmare. Tim would probably love doing that sort of thing. But I getting observed every day. Oh. And I remember driving to work. I don't know why I remember this, but I was looking through the windscreen, feeling really depressed. And as I was driving along, I felt the Lord say, just worship me. So I said, okay. So I started singing in the car. Anyone seeing me probably thought I was mad. And as I worshipped and sang to the Lord, it, just, it, it wasn't me just trying to psych myself up. God spoke. God said, worship me. I sang and worshipped. I got to school that day. I got observed by Mr. Wilson, the deputy head. And I did really well that day. But the point was this. I just was felt different. But the kids were still horrible. <laughs> you know, throwing fridges at you and things. But I felt different. It didn't faze me. I, I felt I was in a... I don't know, I was in the spirit. And I just want to say to you, these guys were praying and singing in the prison. You can be in the spirit. That's, what that means is in contact with God. Even in your prison, you can, be, you can sing and pray, even there. The Spirit can go there into your prison. And I just think, 
a lovely little picture. Um, but they chose to do it. Now, moving on, <clears throat> I don't know if you can see those pictures. I'm going to look at this, <coughs> the first question. What does overcome mean? Well, I've put a definition there. It's turning to face toward a life. now? Yep. All right. Um, on the other microphone. Now, this snail is uh, traversing a difficulty there. But you see, when you come to a difficulty, it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. You can choose to say, I will, by God's grace, live through these circumstances with courage, strength, grace, and joy. God is my strength. God is with me. God will guide me through. You can say that, or you can just lock down. Where are heroes made? Where are heroes made? Heroes are made on battlefields, because I'm, I'm into like, you know, military stuff. Heroes are made on the battlefield. Heroes are not made in the barracks where it's got a nice bed. They're made in conflict. So overcome means to turn towards a life obstacle, but with a heart of faith. Secondly, overcome, I believe, means this, getting beyond and moving past any place of being stuck. Now, <clears throat> here is a picture of a donkey down a pit. You may know this story. Does anyone know this story about the donkey down the pit? Basically, a donkey falls down a drain pit the villagers try and get it out. The villagers, it's too heavy. They can't be bothered. So they're not very loving people. They start to, they think, oh, we'll just kill it. So what they do, they start shoveling earth onto the donkey. We'll just bury it alive. Fill up the pit. Then it won't be a danger to anyone else. We'll kill the donkey. <laughs> um, and so they shovel the soil on the donkey. Now, if the donkey had been a bit depressed like this, he probably would have died. But what this donkey did was, every time the soil fell onto the donkey, he shook his shoulders. The soil fell off. Next shovel load of soil fell on the donkey. The donkey shook his shoulders. <laughs> shook it off. And he kept doing this and kept doing this. And they were like, saying, come on, die, you silly donkey. And they kept throwing soil on it, but they kept shoveling, shaking it off with his shoulders. And eventually he shook off so much he was able to step out the hole and walk off because he shook it off. And that's what God wants you and I to do. Shake it off. In God. Not in your own strength. Shake it off. You can shake it off. Um with the power of God, but you've got to want to do it. <laughs> yeah, it may take time, but you, you've got to choose. And <clears throat> when I say get stuck, what do I mean get stuck? Well, people get stuck in many places, and I know I've been stuck in some of these, and I'd like you just to think about this. Some people get stuck in the sadness of life. They've had a tragedy, and it's, I'm not downplaying it, but they get stuck in the sadness. They never move any part beyond that. Some people get stuck in their hurts and their wounds, in their bitterness, in their unforgiveness, things that others have done to them. Some people get stuck in the pit of self-pity. Some get stuck in despair. Now, what's the point? What's the point doing all this Christianity lark? 
despondent. Some get stuck, a bit like the hedgehog, in a place of, well, I've been hurt before, I'm just going to protect myself and curl up in a ball. <clears throat> Some people get stuck in the past, just thinking about what happened. You know, there's a man in the Bible that Jesus set free, and he used to live in a place where there were memorial tombs. They were called, in, in the Greek, it says memorial tombs. He lived in a place where there were all the memorial tombs. And people are like that. They live in their memories. Some people spend their whole life worrying about the future. <laughs> Living in the future. Worrying like a, like a record going around. Not that we use records anymore. Karina always said to me, Simon, you never live in the present. <laughs> She really lashed me. She said, you always live in, either in the past or in the future. Why don't you live in the present? What's God saying to you today? <laughs> See, God wants you to move on past the place of being stuck. But you've got to want it. And I, my good news, or the good news I feel the Lord wants me to say to you today, is you can move on if you choose to. And you can go to a new place. And it's not... You know, some people get stuck in the place of being cynical. I'm cynical. It's not going to work. <clears throat> okay. Moving on. Why is what we choose so important? Well, I'll tell you why it's so important that you make a choice today. It will determine the kind of person you become. You can become one of two kinds of people. And I've met them. And, and I've been one too. But <clears throat> you can become this... Person A, I describe person A and I'll describe person B. You can either become person A or person B. Person A, someone who has a victim mentality. Someone who is bitter. Someone who won't forgive. Someone who's cynical. It's not going to work. Someone who's shaking their fist at heaven for what happened. You can be like that for months on end. You can be weary defeated, hopeless. You can't see God at work. You have no joy. You're robbed of joy. Grumpy, sad. <laughs> and here's a good one. A whiner, a whinger, a moaner, a complainer. Hands up if you've ever done that. <laughs> I know I have. Yeah, a few hands. Thanks, thanks for being honest, guys. <coughs> But you know, the sad tragedy is some people remain a whiner, a moaner, a complainer all their life when they could have become a different person. And they look at the problem instead of looking at God. So that's person A. Now person B, this is what you can become if you choose to overcome for God when you get really hit in life. You can become someone of strength, who find God as their strength. Like Tim was saying last week, in your weakness, you can really find God as your strength in the dark time. If you, trust, if you, if you believe in him and do it, <coughs> um, you will have a greater reach of ministry. You'll be someone who can understand when someone else is hurting. You have more compassion because you've been through stuff. And you can be a pattern for them to what look at. They look at you and think, now there's an example. There's a pattern of someone who walked with God. They're, they're like a hero. <laughs> they're like a mini hero or heroine. Um, they're an encouragement. They're a, 
They've got, they're real. They've got real, real faith in a real, built on a real God. Um, wow, and, and these people, they, they're just vibrant and they've actually got joy, <laughs> even though they might have suffered terribly. So what kind of person do you want to be? And I'm talking not about tomorrow, next week. I'm talking about 10 years from now. What do you want to be? Do you want to be a whiner? Or do you want to be someone who is a pattern of faith that others can say, there's a man, there's a woman of God who went through. Now, I don't know if you know this gentleman. Um, I can't pronounce his surname. He's, I think he's Serbian. I think his surname is Nick Vujicic. Some of you may have heard of him. He's, he was born with a rare condition called uh, tetraamelia syndrome, uh, which basically means he was born with no arms and no legs. Um, and at the age of 10, he tried to drown himself because he was so depressed. I mean, who wouldn't be? <coughs> but he was prevented from doing that. And I won't explain the story. But today, this man... Yes, he gives pep talks, he gives positive thinking talks, he does that when people ask him, but he also preaches the gospel. He is a Christian, he's born again. He goes to India. Did you know that? He preaches in Mumbai. He goes to India, this guy, and I think one of his meetings, he had 110,000 people. 110,000 people come to listen to him. He's preached in 57 countries. They think he's reached about 6 million people. Um, he can surf, he can skydive, he can paint, and he can swim. And he all did it because he said, when he met Christ, he said, my disability is for a reason. Rather than going, that's it, pointless, kill myself. My disability is for a reason. And he said this, he said, an obstacle can become, in God, if you're walking with God, an obstacle can become an opportunity. A wall can become a door. <coughs> and he says sometimes words help, sometimes hugs help, but sometimes they don't help. What, sometimes what you need is faith. And he asked this question, and I love this question. He said this, he said, think of the three most discouraging people you know. I don't know if you know any discouraging people. Think of somebody discouraging, yeah? Um, like, you can be having a great day, and they pull you down. Or you can be having a really rotten day, and they pull you even lower. He said, and he said this, he asked this question, think about the discouraging person. And he says, I'll tell you something. He said, the person you're thinking about is not the right person. Because the most discouraging person, if you really want to look at it, could be yourself. You're your own worst enemy. In fact, on Friday, Karina, as I went out the front door... Shows I'm still working on this, guys. Karina said, you know, Simon, you're your own worst enemy. You know, the devil can drop the lie in your head and you add 500 on top. The devil, all he's got to do is drop one in and walk off. And Simon plays with the other 600 he creates himself. You know, you can do that. But we've got to overcome. And um, just one other quick quote from him. He said something like this. If you want a miracle and it doesn't happen... God can turn your life into a miracle for somebody else. So you can be a miracle for them. And I'll tell you, he met a boy, this guy. He met, they took him to India, right, and he preached. And then after his preaching, a lot of the people felt sorry for him. So they prayed for him for, I think, about an hour and a half. 
to grow arms and legs. They even made arms and legs out of clay in India, in a barn in India. They made these arms and legs and they had faith that God would turn them into limbs and, and it didn't happen. But then a few months later, he met a boy with no arms and no legs who was totally in depression and he became his mentor. And this boy, well, he, he was a miracle for the boy. Um, anyway, let's go on to the next uh, slide. This is the principle I want to share with you. This is a quote from Oswald Chambers, who's a man of God who died in about 1917. <clears throat> he said this, and I love this phrase. He said, God does not give us overcoming life. He doesn't do it. But he gives us life as we overcome. We have to get up. God does not lift us up. If we will do the overcoming, we shall find that he gives us life immediately. And this is a Bible story to show that. Because there are people that sit there thinking, God's not doing anything. Well, God is saying, you make the first move. Then I'll do something. Look at this story. I mean, I did share this in one of the meetings a few weeks ago. In Luke chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, we have a man with a shriveled hand. And Jesus tells him to do something which a man with a shriveled hand can't really do. So let's just read it. It says, on another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up, stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. I'm not going to talk about the Sabbath, because they were testing Jesus. I'm not going to talk about that. But what I want to talk about is the attitude of the man. He could have said, with his withered hand, he could have said, don't be ridiculous. Look at it. can't stretch it out. It's all shriveled up. Get some glasses, Jesus. He could have said, are you on, what, what are you on? But even though his hand was shriveled up, when God spoke, he obeyed. He, he obeyed. And he said, okay. And as he did it, God healed him. But God would not heal him if he didn't obey. You've got to make the first move. Listen to God and make the first move. Do what God tells you. That's the, that's the basic message, really. Um, right. I'm going to look at four things. On This is the third part of the message. The four things on how we can choose to overcome. Some very practical tips which I've really learned. And um, <clears throat> this one Tim prayed out this morning. It's called choosing to let go. Number one, choosing, because it's hard, but choosing to let go. And before I talk about that, I want to look at the photograph. We have the photograph of a monkey. When Karina saw this on my computer, she said, oh, Simon, you've put in a self-portrait. Um, <clears throat> thanks, love. Good job I took out the picture of the cow. (laughs) 
Anyway, um, sorry. <laughs> now, that is a black howler. It's called a black howler. It lives in Guatemala. It's a kind of medium-sized monkey. And you've probably heard this, but the way they trap them, what they do is they get a coconut, they drill a hole, just big enough for the monkey's hand, they empty out the coconut milk, and they put lots of sugar in there. And apparently these monkeys love sugar. So what they do, they tie the coconut up to a tree, the monkey will go up to it, put his hand in, ooh, sugar. And then, obviously he wants the sugar, but to, to, to get his hand out, he has to let go. <laughs> and he's trapped. I want the sugar. I want, I've got to hold on to that. And you know, there are stories that the hunters, you can look up this on Google, by the way. The hunters, right, what they do, they'll go up to them, and this monkey will see the hunter coming right up with his big club, and he'll still stay there with his hand in the coconut. I'm not letting go of this. And he basically lets himself get trapped and even killed. <clears throat> and you see, sometimes people won't let go of stuff. And there are two areas where I really felt the Lord challenged me. One is let go of the past. Now, that can apply in two ways. You can either have a glorious past and you wish you could go back to it, or you can have a horrible past and you can't forget it. Here's one example. I mean, I work in a place called OMF where they have missionaries going out to uh, Southeast Asia. And some of these missionaries, their family members get sick and they have to come home and work in Borough Green down near Sevenoaks. They have to work in England, you know, snowy Kent. And one of them I know very well, his name is Paul. He was a top evangelist leader out in Cambodia. He was on the front line uh, doing ministry amongst the Cambodians. He had a very significant position, lots of fruit, many Cambodians coming to know Jesus. And he really felt fulfilled. And then one of his kids got ill. He had to come back to England. And now he's working in the Borough Green office with me. And he said, like, I keep thinking back to what I had. That glorious role. And now I'm doing admin. And he's, like, shaking his fist at God. <laughs> but, you know, he learned you have to listen to what God is saying now. That's my challenge. What's God telling you now, today? Or you can look back at your past and it could be a dark past and you just can't let go of it. Other people, they, they hold on to the future. What might happen? Or what I want to happen? What I, what I really want to become? Or, you know, it could be, sorry, get married. You're so fixated on it. And it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's not. But that's all you think about and you worry, will that happen? Or you might want to get a job. You might want to get a position. Or I don't know. You might want to have children. It might be something that... Future. Future. And you notice uh, on the screen that I put that scripture... Oh, there's missing a bit. Oh, Matthew 17, verses 4 to 8. I'm not going to read that out. But I just want to say this. That, that passage is about when Peter, James, and John went up the mountain with Jesus... And they saw Jesus transformed. It's called the story of the transfiguration. And you think, what's that got to do with letting go? <laughs> but the point is, they saw three people up on that mountain. They saw Jesus in the center. And Peter, he saw Moses over there and Elijah over there. 
Now, I don't know if you realize, Moses, as well as representing the law and other things, Moses was their history. Moses was their hero of history. He was their past. Everything revolved around Moses. So you got Peter seeing Moses. Then he also saw Jesus, okay, but he also saw Elijah. Now, Elijah was a prophet. He spoke of the future. He spoke of things to come. Um, and what I'm just trying to say is, I believe, and it's a bit of a, perhaps stretching it, but I do believe that, for Peter anyway, Moses was representing the past, and Elijah, the future. And what God says to Peter, he says, listen to my son now. Hear him. And when Peter woke up, or looked up, he was only Jesus there. And God says this today. Don't think about your past, let go. Don't think about your future, what might happen, let go. What am I telling you this morning? What am I telling you now to do? Live in the present. Don't live in a time warp. It's okay to have a dream, by the way. It's okay to have an ambition. It's okay, but as long as you don't hold it so tight that it traps you. Let's move on. There's a soldier there. Um, <clears throat> now, point number two. So we said let go is one. The second point out of my four points is this. Choose to do the next little task at hand. I'll explain what I mean. This guy, he is a leader. He's actually an admiral um, in the U.S. Navy SEALs. He's a top uh, special forces uh, man in America. And he's fought lots of battles. He's got medals all over his chest. Um, but he said this once. He said, if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Which might seem odd. But what he said was this. He said, if you will just do the little duty that you think is not important, that you think is pathetic, what's the point in doing that? If you will do that, he said, it will lead to something else. And once you've done that, it will lead to something else. Then it will lead to something else. And before you know it, you'll be doing big things. And the Bible says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you find your hand to do, do it with all your might. And can I just share a secret with you? This is what I've learned. When you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling I can't be bothered, you often, you might look at the washing up sitting on your kitchen. You might think, oh, what's the point in doing that? God's not helping me. God's not solving my problem. What is the point of me washing up? That's not going to do anything. Or your bed might be unmade. What's the point in making my bed? What is the point in texting that person? They never reply anyway. <laughs> you know. But I'll tell you this. I've learned this. If you just do the little thing that you believe the Lord would have you do, if you listen, do that one little thing, and I tell you, suddenly the depression's gone. It's true. This happened to me Monday, a couple of weeks ago. I was feeling quite low for various reasons, not all, not all to do with here or anything. It was just, you know, you get like a cloud upon you. And I knew I should do something, a little thing. I think it was send a text, and I did that. I felt fresh, and then I did something else, and then I went and cleaned something. And before I knew it, the whole depression had gone. Whatever you do, do with all your might. The little thing will get rid of the depression. If you just... God might be telling you to do the most basic thing. I mean, when Elijah was depressed, what did God say to Elijah when he was lying under the juniper tree? Elijah was a man in the Bible who got depressed, and he was like, can't be bothered, Lord, take my life. What did God say to him? He said, get up and eat something. It was really simple, wasn't it? He didn't say, go and part the waters of the Jordan River or something. 
get up and eat something. Are you open to God telling you to do like make your bed or do something small? It'll get rid of the depression. You'll start to overcome. Right, next. <clears throat> Third point out of the four. Choose to serve God first. Even when your own pain and your need is still great. That person there is a, a widow. She's found in the Bible in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. She had a son. She was in a famine. They were dying. They had no food left. And the prophet Elijah happened to meet her. God sent him to her. And she was in real need. She was like, everything's falling apart here. And this is what happened. Uh, next uh, slide. 1 Kings 17, verses 10 to 16. I'll just read that to you. So Elijah went to Zarephtha. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, Oh, and bring me please a piece of bread. And this is what she said. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me and from what you have left and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. All I'm trying to say with that is this. You might be in a pit of feeling sorry for yourself or things aren't working out. There's been a tragedy. And you say to yourself, how dare God make any demands upon me? I can't be expected to serve God. First, he's got to sort me out. If he sorts me out, then I'll serve him. Do you know, I once met a woman in Italy and she said this, or I heard about her, she said this, she said, if God gives me a husband, <laughs> I will serve him. <laughs> but until he does, I won't. <laughs> and the point is, she could say, how dare God make any demands on me? But as she put God first and started to serve, even though she knew, I'm using up my bread, I'm using up my, my oil, my flour, as she started to do that, God provided, God blessed, God gave a continuous flow and I, I just want to say this in my own life again it's something I've really learned when you're going through problems difficulties trials it's very tempting to say I can't be bothered I'm not going to do it I'm just going to stay at home I'm just going to turn up on a Sunday rather than listen to what God is telling me but I, I had an experience when I was about about maybe two years ago um, where I was just feeling low and I was running an alpha course somewhere I can't remember where this might have been the early part of 2016 or something. And I was, um, 
I think I was part of churches together at the time. And I said to Karina, I don't feel like doing a thing. I'm just going to stay at home getting in bed. But I felt the Lord saying, go and do the Alpha course and go and do your meeting. So I went and did those things, put God first, and all the depression completely gone. Completely gone. All right? Put God first. My last point. I'm hoping something speaks to you today. Last point, number four. Here's another key to overcoming. Choose to fight daily. Now, I don't mean fight your wife or your kids. What I mean is fight, and I think Tim prayed it this morning, fight to get your satisfaction only in Jesus. Because we are so tempted to find God plus something else. It must be God plus something else. Um, Whereas if Jesus is the well to which you go, the well of life, then you will be satisfied. You see that picture there? That is a broken, dry old well with nothing in it. And sometimes the things we long for can be like that. They can be just empty and dry. Whereas Jesus, he is the source of the water of life. So I want to just challenge you. Do you do this? I mean, I've been challenged. Do you try and get satisfied with Jesus every morning? Do you seek Jesus every morning? Because if you can seek, you know, a bit like when you set an alarm clock, if you set an alarm clock in the morning, you set it to go off at a certain time. Well, you can set your heart to seek Jesus because he's the only source of satisfaction. And if you do that, everything else seems to fall into place. Um, lust will come at you and you say to lust, you're not having me today, thank you very much. I've seen Jesus this morning. He's much better than you. Fear of man can come to you. And you say, fear of man, I'm not having you this morning. You can't have me. I've seen Jesus this morning. He's so much more better treasure than you. Um, it could, what could it be? Self-pity. Um, all the things that try and get you down. Lust fear of man, self-pity, these things will not be able to get hold of you if you've sort of tasted Jesus that morning. <laughs> this is the fight we have to fight and I'm just going to finish with a couple of quotes. Uh, it says there, God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. Failure to be satisfied in God is the essence of evil. In Jeremiah it says, my people have committed evil by going after dry, empty wells. And then Tozer just said this, he said, the trouble with us is we always want God plus something else. I challenge, a key to overcoming is to seek after the Lord alone and find your joy in him. And I'm going to finish with one Bible verse and then I'm stopping. <laughs> Who's leading the meeting by the way, is it? Tim, right. This Bible verse says this, Psalm 90, verse 14. It says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. <laughs> Instead of being miserable and in a trap, unable to move, we'd be glad for all of our days. So I'm going to finish there. I'd like... 
to just ask you, if you feel you need to let go of something, like Tim was saying this morning, when we pray in a moment, I'd like you just to raise your hand, just to, as a sign, I don't, no one's going to look at you, just raise your hand and say, I, I need to let go. If you want to let go and you want to um, come out of being stuck where you are, I would ask you to raise your hand. And if anything else I've said to you, said lots of things, spoken to you today about getting unstuck, just raise your hand if you know you're in that place. Okay? So let's pray. And then I'm going to ask Tim to come up and sing. Is all right if we do rejoice, rejoice. Christ is in you. Well, let's just pray. Uh, Lord, I'm going to raise my hand anyway. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that you have spoken these things to me. You've taught me these things. Um, And Lord, I just pray for anyone here that you would help them to overcome for you. Help them to overcome whatever it is they're facing. In Jesus' name. Lord, we don't want to be stuck for years and years and years. Help us to overcome and move forward in your power. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I like to sing Rejoice, Rejoice, Christ is in you because I think it's got some really good truth in it and then we'll close.